You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 27th day of June, 2010. As always, I'd like to encourage listeners to check into my websites, including the flagship website, CorbettReport.com, as well as my subsidiary websites, AlQaedaDoesn'tExist.com, ClimateGate.tv, and ReportageBook.com as well as those sites that help to distribute this podcast and otherwise promote the works of The Corbett Report, including TragedyAndHope.com, MediaMonarchy.com, RadioForAll.net, Archive.org, CascadiaPublicRadio.org, and now TV.GlobalResearch.ca, the new Global Research TV website from the Center for Research on Globalization, which is located at www.GlobalResearch.ca, And this new Global Research TV site is a tube video uh, site that promises to be a collection of important and interesting world news stories from the Center for Research on Globalization and other media outlets, including the Corbett Report. So I'd highly recommend that people check out that new website, which is now featuring the Meaning of Austerity video from the Corbett Report, as well as newworldnextweek.blip.tv, which is a new website that uh, James Evan Pilato has put together to host independent copies of the New World Next Week, which of course is also available from my YouTube site, youtube.com slash Corbett Report. But newworldnextweek.blip.tv offers not only our weekly update, but also a chance to subscribe via RSS to get the entire video downloaded directly into your iTunes or podcatcher of choice. And Uh, We are currently working out some of the technical blips on our side, but hopefully once that's sorted out, you will have a full high-quality version available to watch on your iPhone or iPod or iPad or whatever iDevice you choose to use on a weekly basis. So if you're interested, please check that out at newworldnextweek.blip.tv. But without further ado, let's get straight into today's Sunday update. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and this is your Sunday update for the 27th day of June 2010. And now, for the real news. In the news this week, the G8 conference in Toronto has just wrapped up, and the G20 conference is now underway. As predicted by many analysts, mainstream media coverage is almost completely centered on protests outside the event, 
with no interviews of the, any of the actual protesters, no analysis of their concerns, and no background or contextualizing information about the grievances with the G20 and their agenda of austerity in the name of paying off private international bankers for loans which those very bankers created out of thin air. One scene in particular that has garnered airtime on almost all mainstream media outlets is the image of a burning police car in Toronto, presumably set ablaze by protesters. As unedited CNN footage of the blaze reveals, however, the scene was notable for the complete lack of police presence long after the blaze had started. I, I don't see any police officers here at all unless they are beside, behind the ring of demonstrators, but absolutely no sign of any police unless they're uh, not in uniform. There is a, looks like now a police officer is there beside him. We'll go back to the car and show you it's still burning. No sign of uh, any police or fire department. Don't even hear a siren. Given the $1.3 billion that Canadian taxpayers have been forced to spend on security operations for the event, including the deployment of 10,000 uniformed police officers, 1,000 security guards, and several army units, many analysts are suggesting that the scene may have been left to garner attention and help the media portray pro protesters as violent extremists. If this is the case, it would not be the first time that scenes of violence have been allowed to get out of control by police forces looking to justify the totalitarian clampdown on political dissent. At the G20 in London last April, a tiny group of masked individuals who the media identified as protesters stage-managed a carefully contrived smashing of the windows of the Royal Bank of Scotland for a gaggle of press photographers, who in fact overwhelmingly outnumbered the so-called protesters without a policeman in sight. In 2008, the Denver Post reported that undercover Denver police, dressed as protesters, had instigated a struggle with uniformed police that resulted in 106 people being arrested and an indiscriminate pepper spray attack against the assembled crowds. In 2007, the Sûreté de Québec admitted that three masked protesters at the SPC summit, SPP summit in Montebello, Quebec, had in fact been policemen who were dressed as anarchists and deployed to incite a violent struggle with police forces. Everybody! As we confirmed yesterday, the three people in question were indeed suited Quebec police officers performing their duties. At a Toronto Town Hall press conference earlier this year, Dan Dix of PressForTruth.ca had the chance to ask Toronto Police Constable George Tucker about the possibility of police using agent provocateur at this year's G20. In 2007, um, there was a summit that was held in Montebello, Quebec. Uh, where three Sûreté de Québec police officers uh, were caught as agent provocateurs. Um, they were dressed as aggressive uh, protesters uh, with rocks in their hands in an attempt to incite violence. Um, George, as a representative of the Toronto Police, can you assure us that the Toronto Police Force uh, will not engage in any um, police uh, agent, uh, provocateur agent activities at the G20 Summit? Um, other matters, security matters, I'm not at liberty to, those, to discuss those in an open format. Completely unreported on mainstream media outlets are examples of informed, non-violent, non-cooperative dissent against the takeover of the Western world by financial oligarchical interests. Earlier this week, Dan Dix of PressForTruth.ca and Charlie Veach of the London-based Love Police took to the streets of Toronto to engage in just such dissent. Thank you all for believing that 
that terrorism was real, we have kept you terrified, stupid, and confused for the last 10 years, since September the 11th. We promise you it had nothing to do with the American, Israeli, or British governments. Oh no. If anyone tries to tell you those theories, punch them in the face. What you need to do is only trust the corporate-controlled propaganda channels of the mainstream media. The people in the nice black and white uniforms behind me that say security, they are asking us, do not point your camera at the building, because the building has feelings as well, and it's very shy today. On Friday, the media finally, and for the first time, reported that Canadian laws have in fact been changed specifically for the G20 to require citizens to identify themselves to police upon request anywhere within five meters of the fenced-off zone around the downtown core of Toronto. Other arbitrary rules that are now being enforced by Toronto police include random, unannounced checkpoints, where police are claiming authority to perform searches and illegal confiscations of private property in public spaces without reasonable cause, in direct violation of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. On whose authority are you able to illegally search my bag? On whose authority? We've explained already, sir. No, you haven't explained. You haven't explained at all. How is this end of discussion? It's a legal search. Unless I'm detained or arrested, you cannot search my bag in a public park. You have a right to enter the public space under the terms that we've given you. That's the end. Oh, your legal terms that you've given me. Well, sir, I guess that's up for debate later, but today, right now, as it stands, those are the rules. And if we are incorrect, and it's found out to be incorrect, then we will apologize for the no, no, they, they there. Oh, so you yeah. just do whatever you want to and deal with it later. That's not the case. That's just what, no, that's exactly what you said to me. Well, anyways, that is like exactly what you said to me. That is exactly what you said to me. How is it over? These are my rights. These are my rights as a citizen. I can enter a public space at any point I want to without my rights being violated. And you're telling me if I want to enter in, into this park, my rights will be violated. As a citizen. And you're going to deal with the consequences later. Charlie Veach of the Love Police was arrested on Thursday for failing to provide his name to Toronto Police when he was arbitrarily detained during his peaceful activities. All right, everyone, so as you probably just saw, we were uh, surrounded by, I don't know, about 15 police officers or so who said we could not be on the property and that we had to be on uh, the public sidewalk. Uh, We went over to the public sidewalk, uh, continued doing our bullhorning with Charlie Veach, and uh, that's when they, they said it's time to put a stop to this and you guys are going to have to tell us who you are and show us your identification under something that is called the uh, Protection Public, Public, Protection. Public Protection Act, uh, which somebody, one of the officers said is rarely, rarely used, but they brought it out for this particular occasion. Uh, so Charlie Beach uh, has been detained. He is currently um, being processed uh, inside of Union Station here, and uh, we're going to stick around and... Uh, Make sure that he gets out okay. The new and arbitrary powers have also been extended to the borders, where citizen media from the United States, including members of We Are Change New York, were refused entry into Canada unless they could provide special dispensation from the FBI. Dispensation that the FBI says doesn't exist. Now we got to get an impossible document, a disposition from the FBI that the FBI says doesn't exist in order to enter Canada, not even now but within the next 10 years. So for the next 10 years, if I want to enter Canada, i got to get a document that's impossible to get. Because I filed the Freedom of Information Act with the FBI, with my name, and they wrote me back a letter stating 
oh, we don't have no documents with uh, Luke Radowski at all. No. Then we go here, custom agents come out and only say, oh, we have your FBI uh, report sheet here. Uh, it says you're arrested uh, questioning Michael Mayer Bloomberg, weren't you? It's like, yeah, but those charges are being dropped uh, as we speak. They're like, yeah, we don't care. Uh, you're not allowed into Canada. Meanwhile, inside the conference, the so-called leaders of the so-called free world are meeting to formalize agreements that have already been made in events like the Bilderberg Conference had held earlier this month in Sitges, Spain, and the Trilateral Commission meeting held last month in Dublin, Ireland, both events being completely ignored by all mainstream media outlets. Inside, the U.S. seems to be holding up for a position of continued Keynesian stimulus spending to keep the disintegrating Anglo-American financial world order continuing in its current long-term slow-motion collapse, and the Europeans and Canadians are arguing for drastic austerity measures to ensure a swift and controlled demolition of the current economic paradigm, like the demolition of World Trade Center Building 7 on September 11, 2001. Analysts note that in either event, the ultimate intention is to move the world toward the bolstering of regional and global financial institutions with the powers to set policies and laws within individual nations and to create a de facto world government of bankers. Earlier this week, Bob Chapman of the International Forecaster joined the Corbett Report to discuss the deliberations at this year's G20. They'll be paying that debt off, and they will be in a quasi-depression for 20 to 30 years. It's not worth it. And besides, the bankers who created the money out of thin air, who lent it to them, should have never lent it to them in the first place because they knew of their dire financial condition 30 years ago, never mind the last 10 years. And so I think that those are, that's going to be the biggest issue uh, at the meeting there. And it, it's going to be a knockdown, drag out fight. Now stay tuned to CorbettReport.com for episode 135 of the Corbett Report podcast, Know Your Toxins, Sodium Fluoride, where we talk to Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network and Dr. William Hersey, former EPA scientist, about the dangers of fluoride. Welcome, my friends, to episode 135 of the Corbett Report. Know your toxins, sodium fluoride. Here is a thought experiment with which to begin today's episode. That is to bring this topic of sodium fluoride as a poison or toxic chemical to uh, the attention of a mixed group of people and see how long it takes before one of them points to this scene from Stanley Kubrick's 1964 film, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Have you ever heard of a thing called fluoridation? Fluoridation of water? Uh, yes, I, I have heard of that, Jack, yes. yes. Well, do you know what it is? No. Do you realize that fluoridation is the most monstrously conceived and dangerous communist plot we have ever had to face? Yes, as with so many real issues of real importance in the real world, the phony manipulators of cultural opinion in the Hollywood predictive programming priesthood have gone along ahead of time to try to implant the idea in people's minds that if you talk about fluoride as a toxin, you are some sort of crazed quack on par with Jack D. Ripper, who wants to start World War III. 
And again, as a thought experiment, just go and try to raise this subject in mixed company, and I almost guarantee that someone will bring up that scene from that movie, because it is just one of those memes that has been injected into the collective unconscious and seeks to steer us toward a certain line of thinking. But again, the reality is very different from the perception in this case, as with so many cases where the media manipulators try to steer us into one line of thinking. And in recent years, the overwhelming scientific consensus, and this time a genuine scientific consensus, is that fluoride added to drinking water is not healthy and does have very serious health consequences, including bone cancer, lowered IQ, disruption of the thyroid, and many, many other problems besides. And now even the controlled corporate media has to report on the scientists who are coming out in droves to talk against the practice of water fluoridation. For decades, Americans associated fluoride with good dental hygiene, which is why it's still added to most public water supplies. But today, 600 health professionals and scientists, including Dr. Arvid Carlson, a Nobel laureate of medicine, are calling on Congress to ban the use of fluoride immediately. Among the petitioners, Bob Carton, a former Environmental Protection Agency scientist. He says fluoridating water was a mistake from the beginning. It was a foolish thing to do years ago. They didn't have enough information. They hadn't really been tested. In fact, a 2005 Centers for Disease Control study found too much fluoride has caused irreversibly discolored teeth in one out of three children. And a major report by the National Academy of Sciences says toxic levels can lead to severe permanent pitting of the enamel in children. Fluoride can also build up in the bones to cause pain, stiff joints, and skeletal abnormalities when they get older. It's a cumulative poison. It just gradually builds up and it gradually causes harm. In 2006, a report by the National Academy of Sciences identified fluoride as a potent hormone disruptor that can affect your thyroid and potentially lower the IQ of children. A scientist at a leading dental research institute in Boston, Dr. Phyllis Mullenix, exposed rats to fluoride to work out its effects on the human brain and the central nervous system. The pattern that we saw it typically is what we see with other neurotoxic agents that are well known to cause a hypoactivity or uh, a memory problem or an IQ problem. When I first presented the results of these studies, um, one of the... Uh, individuals sitting and listening to the results. He says, do you have any idea what you're saying? And he says, you're telling us that we're reducing the IQ of children. There have been numerous stories in recent years to emerge about how the very real scientific evidence of bodily harm caused by the consumption of fluoridated water and other fluoridated products like toothpaste have been suppressed by members of the scientific community who are either in the service of the fluoridation lobby or those companies directly benefiting from the fluoridation lobby. And one of those stories to emerge in recent years was uh, about a Harvard professor who altered his own students' work, which showed a possible bone cancer link with the consumption of fluoridated water. 
Questions about the safety of fluoride in drinking water are not new, but now the debate has shifted to Harvard University, where a professor and his doctoral student are at odds over research, research that could show a link between fluoride in drinking water and bone cancer in boys. The professor doesn't think there's a connection, but his opinion is under scrutiny, since he's also a paid consultant for the toothpaste industry. Dr. Chester Douglas, a Harvard University big shot. He's chairman of the Department of Oral Health Policy and Epidemiology at Harvard School of Dental Medicine. And he's at the center of a fluoride debate, the question of whether fluoride in drinking water can cause cancer, specifically osteosarcoma in boys. Hi, Dr. Douglas, Mike Bodet with Fox 25. We wanted to talk to you about the fluoride controversy. I just was uh, talking to the lawyers about the freedom of information, so we're going to give, uh, give all our studies to them. Dr. Douglas spoke publicly about the controversy for the first time to Fox Undercover. Is there a cover up here? This report from Harvard Medical School will answer that question. The dispute erupted last year when the Washington-based Environmental Working Group raised serious allegations, accusing Dr. Douglas of possibly covering up the link between fluoridated water and cancer. The, the question is very simple. Did he represent the research correctly or did he not? Ken Cook is Environmental Working Group's president. He points to a thesis done by one of Dr. Douglas's own students. Dr. Elise Basson found for males less than 20 years old, Fluoride level in drinking water during growth is associated with an increased risk of osteosarcoma. But according to Cook, Dr. Douglas dismissed any link when he presented this final report to the National Institutes of Environmental Health Sciences. Uh, Dr. Basson's study found some very compelling evidence that there's a risk uh, of bone cancer uh, from fluoridation in water. And the presentation of her research suggested the, the opposite, that there was no evidence. The Environmental Working Group has raised concerns about Dr. Douglas's close ties to toothpaste giant Colgate, pointing to his job as editor-in-chief of the Colgate Oral Care Report. Fox Undercover has learned Dr. Douglas has also worked as a consultant for Colgate for the last 10 years. The company has paid him tens of thousands of dollars. Do you suspect that Dr. Douglas is trying to protect the toothpaste industry? Um, obviously, if he's got a financial interest uh, working, uh, at least in part, for a company that, that is making fluoridated toothpaste, one would be concerned, one would be aware of that potential conflict of interest. As I say, that is just one of many such stories to emerge in recent years, including a very interesting one about a former EPA scientist who was incensed and eventually fired for his outrage over the manipulation of studies showing a fluoride cancer link. In the uh, 1990s, the senior toxicologist for the EPA's Office of Water said that the cancer tests that had been done uh, on fluoride, where laboratory animals were given fluoride, uh, he said that those results had been gerrymandered, that in fact the equivocal verdict that fluoride was a carcinogen ought to have been much stronger. He said that uh, fluoride given to rats had produced bone cancer and liver cancer and that those results had been doctored to make it look as though fluoride hadn't caused as much cancer. I've been in the toxicology business looking at studies of this nature for nearly 
25 years. And I've never seen that. Never ever seen where every single endpoint that was a cancer endpoint had been downgraded. I'd seen one or two endpoints argued over, usually on a definition of what is a cancer in that particular tissue. But I've never seen every one of them downgraded. I found that very suspicious. Marcus was fired. Dr. William Marcus was fired, and a federal judge ruled that Marcus was fired because of his outspoken opposition to fluoride. That story is interesting because it highlights a very real rift that has developed over the past couple of decades between the Environmental Protection Agency in the United States and the very scientists that it employs to advise it on acceptable and safe levels of such toxins as sodium fluoride in the water supply. Now, this is an important rift to understand because basically what it is saying is very much like the IPCC, which is a political organization which compiles its report for leaders first and then changes the scientific assessment to march in line with that political assessment. Well, here too, the EPA is a political body which employs scientists and will we'll silence them in any way it has to if the, the scientists happen to disagree with the pronouncements, the political pronouncements of the political EPA organization. One of the organizations that has been founded to address such issues, such discrepancies between the scientific reality and what the government wants the people to believe, is the EPA's own professional union, and this is a union that represents the EPA scientists against, of course, its employer, the Environmental Protection Agency. And this body has been around for decades, struggling on many fronts about the rights of the EPA workers. But, of course, one of the important points in the EPA is the bones of contention on a scientific basis between scientists and the EPA when there is the question of political influence trying to manipulate or change the scientific opinions of these scientists. And one of the people who has been instrumental in dealing with these discrepancies has been the EPA HQ Professional Union Executive Member who has served as Vice President and Senior Vice President of the EPA HQ Professional Union, and that is Dr. William Hersey, who is currently a uh, chemist-in-residence at the American University. And in J June of 2000, almost exactly 10 years ago, he had the chance to testify before the U.S. Senate on a hearing about the Public uh, Drinking Water Act and its ramifications for the fluoride debate. So let's listen to a brief excerpt from that testimony before the U.S. Senate in June 2000 by Dr. William Hersey. Dr. Hersey. Good morning, Chairman Smith and Chairman Crapo and fellow staff workers. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to appear today to present the views of the union on the issue of fluoridation of public water supplies. Our union represents the staff, scientists, lawyers, and others who analyze hazard exposure and economic data and advise management how to use them in public health protection. I'm not here today to speak for EPA, but rather the union, founded 17 years ago to protect EPA workers from unethical pressure by EPA managers. It was on that basis in 1985 that we first got involved in this issue. In 1997, we voted to oppose fluoridation, and our opposition has grown stronger as more adverse data on the practice has come in. In the interest of time, let me state our recommendations first. 
We ask that you order an independent review of the cancer bioassay of sodium fluoride mandated in 1977 by Congress. Evidence for carcinogenicity in that assay was systematically downgraded by a special executive branch commission appointed and run by the very agencies that Congress did not trust to run the uh, bioassay in the first place. That action saved fluoridation temporarily. We ask that you order chronic toxicity studies on the two waste products that are now used in 90 percent of fluoridation programs. EPA says there are at present no chronic toxicity data on them, and we ask that you order EPA set an MCL for fluoride that's truly protective of all American citizens, infants and adults alike, because the current one does not in violation of the Safe Drinking Water Act. We ask that you order epidemiology studies using dental fluorosis as an index of exposure to determine the extent of other toxic effects, especially effects on the brain and bone in the population that are attributable to fluoride. We ask that you convene a, a joint congressional committee to give this issue the full airing that it deserves. It's been 23 years since the last one, and it's high time for a new one. That was Dr. William Hersey 10 years ago when there was still a lot of evidence about the dangers of fluoridation, but when a lot of the evidence that we have today had not yet been published. So it was with great pleasure that I had the chance earlier this week to talk to Dr. William Hersey about the difference between the debate 10 years ago and what we know now about the dangers of fluoridation and whether or not his opinion has changed. That interview is, of course, available for download in its entirety from CorbettReport.com, and he goes into great length and detail about uh, not only the EPA's position and how that was arrived at on the topic of water fluoridation, but also the many, many health effects of fluoridation of water. But one of the subjects that we discuss, which I think is one of critical importance, is the understanding that what we call sodium fluoride and what we say is going being pumped into the water is in fact not sodium fluoride. This is not some pharmaceutical grade, carefully controlled substance that's being put into the water supply. And with all of the problems that that raises, ethical medical problems about forced medication of a population, without even so much as doctor consultations or any individual knowledge about the patients, which is the general public, who are being prescribed, which is to say having this medicine put into their water, the sodium fluoride. Well, no, one of the facts that we have to point out here is that, no, this is not even sodium fluoride that is being pumped into the water. It is a different substance entirely, and knowing more about that substance also tells us where the idea of putting fluoride in the water came from in the first place, and why there are vested political interests and monetary interests in keeping that fluoride in the water. So, for more on elaboration on that cryptic statement, let's listen to a brief excerpt from my interview earlier this week with Dr. William Hersey, former senior vice president of the EPA HQ Professional Union. In the beginning, the fluoride was mostly from coming from the aluminum industry, uh, but uh, it wasn't very long into the um, fluoridation program before it was realized that there was another source uh, that would be available, and that's the source which is the primary source nowadays and has been for for decades, and that is uh, a byproduct from phosphate fertilizer manufacturing, both here in the U.S. and other places. Uh, when phosphate ore is dug up out of the ground and can ultimately converted to to phosphate fertilizer. Uh, a byproduct of that 
um, uh, reaction of that ore with sulfuric acid, which is part of the process by which it's, the ore is converted to fertilizer. When that, when that stuff coming out of the ground is reacted with sulfuric acid, uh, other things that are mixed with the ore, like sand and uh, um, calcium fluoride, um, these are these ores are old marine deposits from old ocean beds. Uh, and in, in the U.S., this is mostly down in Louisiana and Florida. Um, the byproducts include silicon tetrafluoride and hydrogen fluoride, and when these get out into the atmosphere, they cause great damage. And so um, in order to prevent that from happening, these, uh, th these are gases. Both of these are gases, silicon uh, tetrafluoride and hydrogen fluoride. Uh, the gas stream is uh, essentially washed with water. Its water is sprayed into the gas stream. And the hydrogen fluoride and silicon tetrafluoride combine with the water to form a solution of uh, uh, hydrofluosilicic acid or hexafluorosilicic acid. It goes under a couple of different names, but it's the same stuff. Uh, two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of silicon, and six atoms of fluorine. Um, and this is the stuff now which is used in over 90% of the fluoridation systems in the U.S. Uh, most people, and in fact, probably most dentists for that matter, think that the fluoride in drinking water is the same uh, pharmaceutical-grade material that's in toothpaste and in mouthwash and in dental varnishes and so forth. But it's not. The... Um, the uh, uh, the result of the fact that this stuff is a, an industrial byproduct from from this relatively crude, um, if you will, mining process, is that other impurities come along with it, including arsenic and heavy metals uh, such as lead uh, and some radionuclides as well. Um, so, the in fact the uh, person who was at the time uh, the Public Health Service's um, uh, national fluoridation engineer, Tom Reeves, uh, admitted that most of the, the arsenic in um, drinking water systems that are derived from surface water supplies, like, you know, that is, you take water from the river, <clears throat> most of the arsenic that ends up in the drinking water doesn't come from the river, it comes from the fluoridation chemical that's put into the drinking water. Um, groundwater drinking water systems, especially in the western part of the U.S., that is the water that comes percolating up out of the ground, uh, that contains natural levels of arsenic, uh, which um, uh, are substantial and uh, so but most of the water systems in the US especially in large metropolitan areas most of that is um, surface water supplied and so most of the arsenic that people for instance in New York and and um, uh, along the East Coast and along the Mississippi and, and Ohio River valleys and so forth <coughs> they're 
the arsenic that they're getting in the drinking water system is coming from the fluoridation chemical. Well, this this is a key point, and, and from my layman's perspective, it's something that I've been wondering about, because obviously the vast majority of the public believes that we're dealing with sodium fluoride and a, a pharmaceutical-grade chemical, and uh, as you say, many dentists think that. Uh, my, my question is, do, do the EPA, when they're trying to come up with their regu- uh, regulatory standards, do they take into account the difference between sodium fluoride and fluorosilic silicic acid and the different impurities in that, or is it simply fluoridation when, when they look at the fluoride levels? Is it from a, a multitude of sources? Well, that, you have to understand EPA's role in, in water fluoridation. Now, now EPA doesn't, doesn't mandate water fluoridation. It's strictly a local operation, nor, in fact, do they regulate the chemicals that are used in fluoridation. EPA long ago uh, uh, surrendered the um, regulatory authority uh, over chemicals that are used in water treatment plants to an operation that was once called the National Sanitation Foundation and is now simply known as NSF Incorporated. Um, And lets the NSF, which uh, uh, draws its uh, membership and uh, technical staff from uh, water authorities, from uh, other from other industrial sources, <clears throat> one former EPA water official, as a matter of fact, went to work for NSF as well, Joe Catrugo. Um, and the NSF sets a standard, what's um, um, called, they have a variety of standards, but the one that's most applicable is what's called Standard 60, and which says that um, any water treatment chemical cannot contribute uh, more than 10% of uh, any contaminant that is listed as uh, that has a drinking water, a primary drinking water, a maximum contaminant level set by EPA, which is a big mouthful. But what it what it means is this: if the um, um, water authority wants to put hydrofluoric silicic acid into drinking water. And EPA has set a maximum, an enforceable maximum contaminant level for arsenic at 10 parts per billion. Then, when the uh, hydrofluorosilicic acid gets put into the drinking water, no more than one part per billion uh, of arsenic can come in with it. One, basically, that's the maximum of 10% of the enforceable standard, and that's the, the same for any any other water treatment chemical and any other contaminant that's regulated by EPA, uh, no more than 10% of a regulated material, uh, MCL, can, can be added. So um, EPA basically doesn't play in this game, uh, nor does uh, the Food and Drug Administration, for that matter, play, play in, into this game in drinking water uh, chemicals. It's strictly... Um, uh, handled by this private sector uh, organization, NSF Inc. Um, it's um, kind of an amazing thing. Yes, amazing, horrifying, and unfortunately very true that a private corporation, NSF Inc., is in charge of overseeing water fluoridation in the United States, not the Environmental Protection Agency or the Food and Drug Administration, although we know those are themselves, of course, only fronts for private companies. They at least give the illusion that the process is actually overseen 
by some government agency which would be responsible and could theoretically be held accountable for its actions. No, this is a private agency that regulates what is going into the water supply, at least for Americans, and that should be a very disturbing fact for any Americans in the listening audience out there. And yes, not only does the NSF regulate the fluoridation, they also know very well that the fluoride or the fluorosilicic acid which is being put into the water, not sodium fluoride, is in fact very dangerous and contains many impurities, which are of course an obvious byproduct of the process which is used to create the ammonium uh, phosphate fertilizers. And you can find uh, evidence from that, for example, from uh, an article on brewwaha.com, Limit Fluoride to Prevent Lead Poisoning, study says, which reads in part, quote, NSF International, a private company that regulates public water supply additives, reported in February 2008 that 2% of 245 fluoridation batches sampled over a six-year period had detectable levels of lead. There are approximately 155,000 U.S. public water supplies. Lead is an allowable trace contaminant in fluoridation chemicals along with antimony, arsenic, barium, beryllium, cadmium, chromium, copper, mercury, selenium, and thallium. End quote. And there's a link to an NSF fact sheet where you can find out about those chemicals in the water supply that are being added in the name of fluoride being put into the water supply to protect your teeth. Indeed. Well, I'll also put into the documentation for today's episode, which, by the way, for listeners who may be new to this podcast, is available for every episode of this podcast and can be found by going to CorbettReport.com, clicking on the Episodes tab, finding today's episode, and then clicking on the Documentation link, which will take you to a list of all of the documents cited in today's episode, sorted by time index, I'll also throw in a link to a PDF of a letter which the NSF wrote to a fluoride action group where they admit, yes, there are, in fact, massive amounts of arsenic in uh, water which has been fluoridated. And yes, the NSF knows about this, and no, the NSF does not care. And as a private corporation, it cannot be held accountable for not caring. And that is the ridiculous situation which Americans at least find themselves in. And it's important to notice to note at this point that America is in fact very much in the minority in far as far as nations in this world that allow fluoridation of the water supply. In fact, there are very, very few countries in the world that do allow fluoridation of the water because in many countries, such as in China and India and other such countries, they have high levels of naturally occurring fluoride in the water, and because there is no vested industrial or monetary interest in putting fluoride into the water, they conduct their own toxicity tests of fluoridated water, naturally fluoridated water, and discover the links between fluoride and bone cancer, for instance, or fluoride and hypothyroidism, for instance, or fluoride and lowered IQ. And there are numerous studies that come out of China and India and Iran about those particular health effects, which you will find nowhere duplicated in the American medical industry, because that industry is 
run by and for the interests of the companies and industrial interests who have a lot to gain from the fluoridation process and nothing to gain from exposing the true dangers of fluoride. So if you're interested in finding out not only the studies about lowered IQ and fluoride and actually reading those studies, but also the studies about fluoride and the thyroid, fluoride and bone cancer, fluoride in the kidney, fluoride in the respiratory system, all of the other horrible health effects which are linked to fluoride in the water supply, I would urge you to go to the homepage page of the Fluoride Action Network at fluoridealert.org. Fluoridealert.org is perhaps the premier place on the internet for information about fluoride and the fluoridation of water, not only in water supplies, but also the fluoridation of other products and other sources of fluoride in the environment and how that affects our health. It's an extremely valuable website, not only because of the oodles of information and articles and all sorts of other links and things from that page, but also the bibliography, which is highly highly recommended for anyone who is even vaguely interested in the actual science behind the toxicity of fluoride. Please go to fluoridealert.org and click on the bibliography, which is an incredible compendium of information from all sorts of scientific journals, doctoral theses, and other sources of scientific studies and information about the toxic nature of fluoride. And I cannot stress enough how incredible that resource is, and it provides links to all sorts of articles, and you can sort it even by the different types of health effects, from the brain effects to the thyroid effects to the kidney effects and other such effects, so that you can see all of the studies at a glance that back up the very real fact that a toxic chemical, a cumulative toxin, a poison, is being deliberately and knowingly added to the water supply, and all people who attempt to point out that fact are being deliberately sidelined. And also this week, it was also my pleasure to talk to Dr. Paul Conant of Fluoridealert.org. He's one of the directors of the Fluoride Action Network, and we talked not only about the ill effects of the fluoride, but on many other aspects of this besides, including one of the most important issues that there is at the very base of this, which is the fact that people are being forced medicated without informed consent and without any type of medical controls, simply by virtue of living in an area where it has been decided from on high that fluoride will be added to the public water supply. And this is the little history on this. The, for about a hundred years, the phosphate fertilizer industry decimated the vegetation and the, the cattle grazing around their plants because of the uh, emitting into the environment two very toxic gases called hydrogen fluoride and silicon tetrafluoride. Eventually, they were required to put wet scrubbers, a spray of water, onto their plants to capture these gases. And what happens then is the formation of a substance called hexafluorosilicic acid a 23% solution. Now, this stuff cannot be dumped into the sea by international law. It can't be dumped locally because it's too concentrated. But if someone buys it from them, it immediately then becomes a product. It's no longer controlled by hazardous waste regulations and therefore can be put into the public drinking water supply. So not only you have two outrages here. One is we're using the public water supply to deliver medication, which is an incredibly unusual and silly thing to do. Uh, 
And secondly, we're using the public water supply to get rid of hazardous waste. Now, this saves a lot of money for the phosphate fertilizer industry, but it should be an acute embarrassment <clears throat> to everybody else. <clears throat> so, you know, if people want fluoride, it's out there. It's in fluoridated toothpaste, and uh, it's universally available. You can brush it on your teeth and spit, spit it out. But the, the use of hazardous waste to, to put this in our drinking water, when most of it ends up, uh, ironically, watering the garden or washing the car or washing the dishes, flushing the toilet, only a small percentage, far less than 1%, gets anywhere near the teeth, anywhere near our children's teeth. So again, it's one level of preposterousness on top of another. The entire issue is so infuriating that I think a lot of people don't even want to think about it because uh, there, there's the sense that there's nothing that we can do about it. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. It, it is, and it's so frustrating for us because when people hear about this issue, um, they are left going in one of two directions. Either this fellow Connett that you have on, on the phone right now is crazy, or all the established uh, dental authorities and health authorities and, and the U.S. Public Health Service are crazy. Uh, and it, or, or they're doing something silly, uh, knowingly doing something silly and, and potentially dangerous. And, of course, for the average person, it's much easier now to assume that the person at the end of this phone, namely me, um, is the crazy one who's obviously got a screw loose and that's been exploited, you know, it's been exploited ever since Dr. Strangelove, where we had the mad general telling everybody it was a communist plot to capture our body fluids or whatever he said. So um, that's the problem for, for us reaching the public. We're up against a barrage of white coats, dentists and doctors and, and health agencies, which are otherwise seen as very respectable and caring and responsible agencies. And... For us to come in and say, well, something you've been doing for over 60 years is actually rather silly and potentially dangerous, and it isn't working. Um, all of this sounds very strange to the average person. So the only thing we can do is to say, well, you know, don't believe us. Go to the literature. Go to our website. Look at the literature which we've cited. Eventually, please read the book. Look at the videotape. Look at the 28-minute videotape and, and make your own judgment. Don't let this judgment be made by, by others. And, of course... That's easy to say, but a lot of people are very, very busy. Uh, most people don't want another issue. I didn't want this issue 14 years ago when my aunt, wife asked me to look at it. But, and it obviously is going to require a little bit of work. But what we've tried to do over the last 14 years to make that work as, as smooth as possible, as I say, watching, spending 28 minutes watching that video called Professional Perspectives on Water Fluoridation, is a very quick learning experience. And hopefully when our book comes out in September, that too will be a fairly um, easy experience. It, it will all be, all the arguments that are scattered around a webpage will be in, in one place. And um, if they want more convincing, we have 2,800 uh, scientists, doctors, dentists, nurses, environmental activists, and others signing a statement calling for an end to this worldwide and hopefully as a result of your program as a result of of people getting this word and, and eventually reading our book that we will get more and more professionals signing that which will make it easier for dentists and doctors who behind the scenes 
tell you that they're against this practice, but then come out in public because of potential ridicule or worse from their peers or professional bodies. It will make it easier for them to come out. I think it's just a matter of time. I just have confidence that good science and uh, scientific integrity will eventually win out against powerful governments and powerful lobbies and a, and a lot of big money. Eventually, we will out, but um, it's going to take time. It's already taken far longer than I anticipated. But the good news here, the really good news is that um, unlike many other environmental health issues, and right now I'm, I'm thinking of the Gulf, the, the, the Gulf oil disaster. I was down in Pensacola just a few days ago. Tap, switching off that tap, switching off, ending most environmental health calamities is extremely difficult. This one of ending fluoridation is extremely easy once we have the political will. And that is, once we have the political will, you, you just turn off the tap. You literally turn off the tap, the spigot, at the public water works, and it's over. It's finished. Just like that. It's finished. Once you have the political will. Once again, Dr. Paul Connett of the highly informative fluoridealert.org and the, one of the directors of the Fluoride Action Network. Now, as always, I will have to leave it here for you to begin doing your own research and taking in the details of this horrific chemical toxin, a cumulative poison that is being added to our water supply in the full knowledge that it is causing bodily harm. And I would highly suggest that people listening out there find out if fluoride is being put into your water supply, as it is not here in Japan, thankfully. But to find out if it is being done in your area, and to begin forming the political networks, the pressure groups, and the informed lobbies that will stop this process and reverse it. Because make no mistake, there is still a chance for the public to have an effect on this debate, as I discussed with Dr. William Hersey. The, 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 the good news is that in, um, uh, in many locations where people get organized and f form local committees, uh, they, can f they can fight off this um, um, effort on, the, on a local basis to, to put fluoride in their drinking water. Um, so it's a matter of organization and uh, uh, informing oneself of the um, uh, of the scientific issues and the moral issues. Um, uh, this is, in fact, a, a medical treatment that's being delivered through the drinking water system. That's one of the reasons why most of Europe doesn't do it. There, there are two reasons. One is it's not effective. Europe is aware that it's not effective when fluoride is delivered that way. And two, and a very important point, is that it's, it is a, uh, a matter of, of individual choice. You don't deliver medicine through the drinking water system. So people inform themselves of those issues and the fact that, that, that other places don't fluoridate for those two reasons, toxicity and it's, a, it's an infringement on individual rights, uh, they can um, often prevail in these uh, local elections on, on fluoridation. They fight the dental establishment. Not all dentists are, are, have succumbed to the pressure of the ADA. There are many dentists out there who, who are um, uh, ethically 
straight and um, and and do the right thing and support citizens. That that's another way to strengthen any local organization is if you, if you can find a dentist in your local community, talk this up with your dental professionals, uh, and include. Uh, as many of those kind of folks, dentists and doctors, in your organization as you can, you can fight this on a local basis. We are continuing to fight this uh, through other organizations like the Fluoride Action Network. Um, I have students working here at American University on a petition to try to get a hydrofluosilicic acid banned as a fluoridating agent. Uh, based on the fact that it's putting arsenic in the drinking water and there shouldn't be any arsenic at all. Uh, so uh, they should, you know, people should uh, take heart that there are many people fighting this issue, including those of us who are, you know, fighting it in a, in a centralized way. Uh, but uh, don't give up. Never give up. That's it for this week. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me for this week's edition of The Corbett Report and asking you to join me next week for episode 136 of The Corbett Report podcast, The Allegory of the Curtain. As life, not just trips down the same drain. It's a basic human right to sip a fountain or drink rain. Instead, they dump chemical waste into the reservoir. Every jar contaminated, fluoride taints my weather's heart. I can't, there's lead and arsenic on that measure bar. And never far behind the line of fire is that repertoire. It's good for bones and teeth. They hum and sing, but real facts beneath the surface reveal some other things. Fluoride accumulates, and studies have shown it causes major changes to the structure of bone. Sensation of burning. Prickling and pains, gastrointestinal disorders, feeling sickly and strange, tingling in the limbs and chronic fatigue. Even that frog in the reeds has his pond under siege. Neurotoxic design, a lowered IQ, lost in three lines of a poet's haiku. I know I'm like you, my body's sort of the same. And there's also fluoride added to my water mains. Skeletal fluorosis, osteoarthritis, they misguide and deny. Glossing over the entire list, the cost of those who fight this more stress. In dismay, I don't believe we receive blessings this way. Criminals poison water like the China Sea. It's a major hit on the planet in a minor key. Why you wanna poison me? With your chemical concoctions in my water. Why you wanna poison me? Why you wanna poison me? It's gonna make my life shorter. Water crimes slowly rise above the waterlines, floating in clear view. We're all to surely find equal governments lie and classify the research. This message should be loud and clear, red and bottom t-shirts. I'm in deep water, but I'm keen to make waves Break the glaze from the TV screen and wake slaves Ingested fluoride as a tooth protectant It's useless and effective and proven ineffective But it works great in suppressing the thyroid function Renders it void, so I try and avoid consumption For babies, fluoride is a very fatal guest Causing birth defects, infant and perinatal death We bought lies for years, oh such as foresight Lead a horse to water, but it won't touch the fluoride Clutching it straight now there's a cause 
and water fight Population sedation if only water was watertight We don't deserve this prison So I'm the first to listen To disturbed workers whistling out words of wisdom Disguise the service It's the worst assistant to my nervous system It makes the system nervous Cause now we curse and diss them If this is an experiment Then what is their agenda? Why are they satisfied with death And won't stop at mere surrender? It shows a lack of true ethics And is actually eugenics And many politicians are too happy to defend this For me it wouldn't fit this water's thicker than blood We shouldn't quit Till we abort the stick in the mud Take this baton in your fist Before I'm shortened of breath And my behaviour patterns twist For this water is death Water crimes slowly rise Above the water lines Floating in clear view For all to surely find Where governments lie And classify the research This message should be loud and clear And right about on t-shirts Do you wanna poison me? With your chemical concoctions in my water Shut it out, cut it off, push him off, tip it out, shut it out.